Today, we are going to look at this next aspect in our series, Growing Up Together, where we've been talking about the faith and practice and growing vitality, the growing life that is found in a follower of Jesus. And it's sometimes that's very subjective. We wonder, how do you measure that? Well, the Bible gives us some pictures of what this looks like demonstrated out when someone is growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, there are certain symptoms that we can tell that the diagnosis is there, that they are following Jesus in a way that is growing. We've looked at this as a person who recognizes God's authority, a person that recognizes God's commands, a person that is uh, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Their life is, is not their own. It's, it's owned by the Lord. It's dwelled by the Holy Spirit. It's a life that communicates with God. They're a praying person. It's a life that learns from God. They're studying God's Word. It's a life that is obedient to God. They're willing to follow what God's Word has said. It's a life that really wrestles with God's Word as it, as it learns and memorizes it. But it's also a life that shares it. And that's the part that sometimes we find so difficult. Or we think we are doing it, but we've kind of misconstrued what sharing Jesus is all about. So today we're going to look at a healthy demonstration of this and try to learn how this applies in our life, what it looks like. So I'm going to invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, which is appropriate. The book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. It's the demonstration, the history of the early church after Jesus resurrected and ascended to heaven. This is the activity. This is the demonstration, the history of what was going on. So it's a great place. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, it is on page 969. I know it will be on the screen behind me, but I always encourage people to to open up God's Word. There's something about it. I, I don't knock having it digital. I have it digital here on my iPad as well, but there's something about having a physical printed copy of the Bible and reading from it. Um, doesn't make it any more holy, but it, it's something that seems to root us a little bit more. But would you stand with me and honor God in the reading of His Word? We're going to jump right in. And we're going to be looking at the whole chapter, but we're going to read the first 13 verses, so I won't have you stand too long. But this is what God's Word has said, so I'd ask you to follow along. It says, While they, they being John and Peter, were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed And the number of the men came to about 5,000. The next day, their rulers and elders and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. 
By what power or in what name have you done this? We'll get to what this is in a moment. Then Peter said, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized they had been with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, today as we take your word, it has been given to us, it has been preserved for us, and it is sufficient to sustain us. It is the authority over all of our lives. It is perfect, infallible, inerrant, and inspired by you. So may we today listen to what you telling us may we learn from you may we love what you have revealed and may we live it god through the power of the holy spirit in the name of jesus amen you may be seated so when we get into the bible some of the things that we continue to do is we we begin to ask questions about what's going on because i realize that not everybody opens the bible every day of the week and not everybody is fluent or what we call absolutely biblically biblically got a little tang tongue literate when it comes to what is in the bible and so we try to help people with that that those nafus that can happen by teaching them to ask some questions when it comes to studying the bible so that they may gain a better understanding about what is being revealed the first is, what does it say? It's better for us to learn what it says by opening it and reading it for ourselves. That is how we can see uh, what is said and we're not getting someone to just tell you what they think it says because there are many things that are said by people that say, well, that's in the Bible, but it's not in the Bible. We've talked about a few of those a few weeks ago. Uh, but we need to open the Bible for ourselves. And then we need to begin looking at what it means, looking at the chapters, the paragraphs, and the sentences before a passage and after a passage. That way we're not just trying to take a little small strip of Scripture and, and making it a big deal. Um, I saw a, a, a post on, on Facebook, and uh, I know that's a dangerous place to get your education at times. But uh, it was, you remember those quotable turn calendars that would have the Bible verses of the day? I don't know, maybe you saw those. I had, my grandmother had one. And it had like a verse of the day. And one of the verses that was quoted was from the book of Matthew chapter 4. And what it said is, if you will just bow down to me, I will give you all the world. And that was the only context that was there. Now that sounds like a really big promise. That if I just bow down to Jesus, all the world is at my hands. 
It's a little less inspiring when you know it was the devil that said those words, right? So we need to be careful and see where it is in the middle of Scripture. What does it mean? What is it coming from? What was going on at the time? And only when we find the meaning of how it was given in that time can we then begin seeing the significance, how it applies to us. But the greatest question is, will I trust what God is saying? Now, like I said, this is from the book of Acts. The book of Acts is is a book that was written. It's the history book of the New Testament after the Gospels that gives us what happened between 30, 33 A.D. Some scholars question whether Jesus died in 30 A.D. or 33 A.D. But on to about A.D. 62 when Paul was put in prison. And it gives us a glimpse of what was accomplished by the church as it was fueled by God in those times that they were growing together. And today, we get a glimpse of one of the very first times that really active, not just like passive, but active persecution faces the church. You know where it came from? How it originated? Because Peter and John shared the gospel message again in the temple and people got saved. And that was the root cause of this persecution. But what we see is that Peter and John are not meant to be seen here as superhero Christians. Godly men who spout God's word at every turn and and spring and leap and quench the devil's fires in one single bound. That is not how we're to see Peter and John. Now, yes, Peter and John are leaders in the church. Yes, they are apostles. Yes, God had set them apart for his usage. But God has set every Christian apart for his usage. And what we see here is that God's plan for spreading his message, the message that was made known to us, the message that by only through trusting in what Jesus has made known to us, are we saved? This message is meant to be spread through ordinary people used as God's witnesses. And right where they are in the community. And so we see this moment here, but I want to not mince words. This activity, out of all the others, I'm not putting it at a higher level, but this activity takes far more courage. Why do I say that? That's, that seems awful. You mean these people that are actively sharing and witnessing, they're, they're more courageous? In a word, yes. Because here's the thing. While it does take courage to pray and ask God to have His way with your life, that's a, that's a dangerous prayer. That is a challenging, life-transforming prayer for you to say, God, this life that you created, that you already own, I yield it and forfeit and surrender to you. That let me not have my way with it, but your will be done. That's a courageous prayer. It is. But you can pray that in private. You can pray that and, 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 and no one would ever know that you prayed that prayer. When it comes to studying the Bible, you can go into a room where no one else knows and you can open it up and study it. Now, that's a dangerous activity too because if we're actually studying it so that it may apply, it's going to be lived out. But that's one of those things we can kind of keep to ourselves. But evangelism, by very much endeavor, it means being outed. It means being exposed. 
And that's why it takes a little more level of courage. And, and here's why it takes courage. I want you to look at see how this takes courage. And we're going to go through some quick points. First, it takes courage for the proclamation. Because to proclaim it, you've got to go somewhere. You've got to speak in the middle of a scenario. And you've got to be confident in the middle of all kinds of swaying of perceptions. Here is Peter and John. They are going to the temple at their regular activity to pray. And there's this disabled man. And they say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to you. I know that's the King Jimmy way of, 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 of quoting it. That's kind of how I was raised. But they give, in the name of Jesus, healing to this man. And they bring him into the temple, a man who by the rest of his life would not have been able to come in because he was disabled. And now he's there. A man who's in his 40s, apparently. That's what the Bible tells us. Everybody's recognizing him. And now everybody's curious, like, how did this happen? And Peter and John began sharing the gospel. That it's not us as celebrities where you should give us the attaboy or you should give us all the attention or we're do all the accolades or it's because we're so special. No, they say it's because Jesus has His way over all things. Including life and death. Including sin and the grave. And it is by Him that this man has been healed, but it is by Him that you can be saved. They begin proclaiming that. And it stirs a ruckus. I mean, think about it. They went into the temple, the the centerpiece of Judaism, where there were people that had some favor with these early followers of Jesus. But this this was a central place of telling the Gospel. I would liken it, because we don't have the temple sitting up now, But I would liken it, imagine if someone of Islamic persuasion, Islamic devout world belief, came in here into a Baptist church and started proclaiming Islam as the way, the truth, and the life. We would have really bad problems with that, wouldn't we? I would, personally. Because I know that is a false gospel. It is not a faith that coincides with the God who created all. This is what this looks like. These men are not being ugly. They're not being rude. They, they see that Jesus is not saying everything in the Old Testament, everything in Judaism is wrong. They're saying without Jesus, it's incomplete. It's insufficient. That everything that the Old Testament was leading up to and promising is fulfilled in Jesus. But they're doing something radical by going into a scenario that for all purposes is enemy territory. And if we're going to proclaim the Bible, if we're going to proclaim Jesus, we've got to recognize that this right here, this is an easy place. Everything out there we would probably look at and say, oh, that's scary, that's enemy territory. You mean I've got to do it out there? Yeah. That's why it takes courage. It takes courage because the scenarios are not going to be easy. Peter and John, they're hustled. And hassled and harassed by the law of the day. Now, we have laws that protect freedom of speech. But that scenario was not a good thing. That These people had the sway of the land. But they have courage there. But then something happens. Not only do they have courage to proclaim Jesus. And not, I'm not saying like they proclaim God bless you. And that was the limitation of their message. The limitation wasn't, I'll pray for you and hope the man gets healed later on. The limitation wasn't, 
you know, you should come follow us to another place down the road. That wasn't the limitation. They, they proclaimed the gospel. The people were annoyed because they were testifying to Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. And then they're arrested. They're detained in jail overnight. And the next morning they're brought before the ruling council. And they're questioned, why? How? How is this even possible? But I want you to notice here, in this moment, they had courage in their public witness. In the moment where it's being called to say, do you really believe what you said? Do you really mean that? They didn't cower down and be like, well, you know, better not say that. They were bold in this moment. And think about it. This is Peter and John. Now, they have witnessed God do some tremendous things. Some say this was within a hundred days of Jesus' ascension. Some say this is within the first two or three years of the early church. We don't know exactly the time frame of this particular day. But this does not remove us from the fact that these two, within just a few short time periods before, we would label with a big C word called cowards. Cowards. Why do I know that? Why would we do that? Because not one of the disciples stayed when Jesus was arrested. Some of them followed closely. John finds his way into sitting in and watching the trial. Peter sits behind the campfire. But when a little girl says, don't you know Jesus? Oh, no, little girl. I'm too afraid of you. No. But now, it says in this moment, being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why the book of Luke says when you're brought before these ruling councils, Jesus himself says, do not worry about what you are going to say, but trust the Holy Spirit to give you the words in those times of need that He is able to accomplish much more than we are able. And that's what happens. It's like prophecy being fulfilled by what Jesus has said. I know that sounds weird for a Baptist preacher to talk about prophecy being fulfilled. But this is what happens. They have a dependency on the Holy Spirit that had already indwelt them. They were already filled, but but they're renewed in that moment with the words. And then notice the delivery of the Holy Scripture. They tell the message, and then they point back. They go right back. This is, I'm telling you who are familiar with the Scripture, this is how we know Jesus is who He says He is. This is how we know Jesus fulfills that which He said He would fulfill. They have this courage. And then they cap it off to be sure to understand to be clear in every way there is salvation in no one else no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved now that puts a big big stamp on the gospel to say exclusive, exclusive, exclusive. And I know that plays a part to our fear in sharing at times. I can be honest. I know that raises a a difficulty for us to say, man, that just seems so harsh. It seems so harsh that God would say it's only exclusive to this one name, this only one faith. 
Because deep down, we would love for it to be universalism. We would love that at the end, everybody's just going to be saved. That sounds nice. Or, maybe not universalism. Maybe we believe, you know, there's people that just, they are adamant about not faith, have faith in God. So, surely they won't be saved. But maybe those who saw good and some kind of light and hope and kind of felt their own way to some sort of pseudo kind of faith, some kind of false faith, but, but they were good in their direction. Maybe they're included. We would love inclusiveness. The problem with that, the problem with that is it's unloving. Because what you've told people is a lie. You've told people what Jesus said is not true. And that's not real love. If someone fed you lies when they knew the truth, you would question their love for you. You would question it. And not only is it a lie and an untrue, but it totally disrespects Jesus. It's, not, it's saying, I'm, not, I'm unloving towards you and I'm disrespectful towards God. I am in a no-win situation when I say there is another gospel when there is no other gospel. You see the courage that that takes. You see the courage in the position. You see, Peter and John, I want to reemphasize, they're not super educated men. Super formally trained men. Yes, they had been with Jesus for three and a half years. But, they were unschooled. They were totally ordinary. Like even the people there, these guys that were on the council, they looked and said, these are untrained, uneducated men. And yet, even though they're ordinary in our eyes, we are befuddled by them. I want you to notice that God can use anyone and everyone who has been to Jesus. Anyone. He can use, as one preacher put it, the PhDs like the Apostle Paul and the GEDs like Peter and John. He can use those that are loops and doctors and those who are tax collectors. The H&R Block guy. He can use them all. I know that H&R Block is copyrighted. I did not use that with permission, so I just want to let that be known. God can use anyone. Notice how God has strategically in this moment though, He placed Peter in John according to His providence, according to His sovereign hand in writing their story. He placed them at the right time and place to meet the needs of this man who needed to be healing. Needed healing. And He placed them in that prison overnight just so the next day they could be these witnesses in front of this council. And because of all those, He placed them in the right place so that 5,000 people came to faith on that day. So we need to understand that the position that God has placed us in, we may not like it, we may not like our job, we may not like the circumstance, we may not like the, the struggle, but sometimes we need to realize, according to God's hand, I'm where I need to be so that His name is made known. And that ain't easy. Because sometimes we want to say, but I want the results now. Peter and John got some results then. 
But that's just one example. There are many examples that the seed was sown, but in the season later, the fruit came. Think about the Apostle Paul. He was there when Stephen was martyred in the book of Acts, chapter 8. He was giving applause to what they were doing to take out this person. And then he was the one that was on his way to persecute and arrest other believers. The message had been proclaimed in front of his ears many, many times. The seed was sown, but in the season later, the fruit came. We're very quick to lose our position, we think, when we think, ah, they didn't respond just right away. Don't lose heart on that. Don't lose heart on that. We'll talk about that more in a second. We see also the courage that comes through prayer. After these Leaders are befuddled. They, they're trying to question what they should do, what, what they should have. And, and they call them and they say, we don't want you to ever speak about this. And Peter says, well, whether that's right for you, in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you be the judge. But as for us, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. That's some courage right there. I can't help but testify that I know this about Jesus. Not because someone told me, but because I have been with Jesus. And we as believers can still say that today. We may say, well, I can't see Jesus with my own eyes. Here's the Bible. It's God saying, this is my gift so you can see Jesus with your own eyes. And living it out, people can recognize you too have been with Jesus. But after this moment, they go back to the church after they've been beaten and sent away. They go and they report to the church, the assembly, what's happened. And they pray. You see this curse through prayer because here's what they pray. They don't pray, God, would you beat them up for me? You ever wonder that? God, just bring that down on their head. Oh, make them pray. I've done that in traffic. God, send a cop around the corner for that guy. I meant it too. But that's not what they pray. They pray this way. They say, God, you are master. You're sovereign. You are ruler. They pray and recognize God's attributes in their prayer. They're not praying, God, make this the way I want it to be. God, they're saying, open our eyes to however you want it to be. And then they pray scripture. They're saying, we know that this suffering, it should not feel abnormal to us. This is what the psalmist even wrote about, that those who who pursue the Lord, they're going to be disdained by the world. They're going to feel like exiles. But then they pray this, that the mission, the mission be greater than their own comfort. They pray for the mission above all to be above their own comfort. Look, Look at verse 20. Uh, 29. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. They considered what they had done just then not to be bold enough. God, give us more. 
They had courage to pray a prayer. God, we are not bold enough where we are. Even if we think we're doing good, we know there's so much more that you are meaning to do through our lives for your glory to be known. And so they're praying that. That's a powerful prayer. And what happens in the middle of it, it leads to a courageous provision. God begins bringing the church together again to say, yes, the mission is greater than our comfort. And the needs that are going to overflow from now we had 3,000 that came to the Lord, now we've got 5,000 that come to the Lord. We're going to have to really re-look at and re-examine how we are serving the Lord with what He has called us to steward. Because truth be known, while we have things, we don't own anything. This life is here today and gone tomorrow. And what happens is there's this courageous provision. So, all that being said, what does this have to do with you and I? This happened 2,000 years ago. Cool, cool, drone, that's awesome. But what does this have to do with me and, and what I need to be as far as a disciple? What does this have to do as far as personal evangelism and why it's essential for me to grow up and our church to grow up together? Well, let's look at some commonalities here. The first five books of the New Testament record the command of Christ to carry the gospel to the world. Not just one book, not just one place, it's not just the Great Commission, it's in the first five books of the New Testament. But the trouble is, we say, well, if that's the case and the command is there, why, if we're honest, do we see this struggle in our own lives to share and as a church as a whole to share beyond our walls? It's good that we share in our walls. We should continue doing that. But why is it a struggle beyond? I think sometimes it's because we really ask ourselves, is my evangelism to my neighbor, my coworker, the guy at the store, is that even necessary? I think we sometimes really ask that question. I do. I want to be very frank. I ask that question myself. Is it necessary for me to speak the gospel in this moment? But I think the greater, the greater question is, is more dangerous. Is me sharing going to be effective? I think that's the, the, the biggest fear I have. And, and probably the biggest fear that was found in the church. We, we'd wonder if it's even necessary for us to do this because we think there's a church on every corner. They know where to go if they want to get the Jesus thing. They can go online. It's, it's not really necessary for me to do it right. And, but the secondly, I think we think, who am I? I'm ordinary. I'm untrained. I, I stumble over words. Is this really going to be effective in the first place? And then, and then we look and say, man, they didn't, they didn't just automatically fall down, pray a prayer, walk the aisle, come to Jesus, get splashed, join a church, give a tithe, and we think, I'm not effective. That, we, we're honest. We want instant gratification results. We do. And we think that effective evangelism is in the saving. When the truth is, effective evangelism is first in the sharing. Because that's our part. Only Jesus can do the saving. We need to remember that. Only Jesus can do the saving. But our role, our God-given command for every believer, not just paid staff, is in the sharing. That is where it is. And here's the thing. 
I know in the American church, we, are, we like to look at numbers and see a lot of results. And if those results are not happening, man, something must be wrong. We must be just messed up and, and things are not great. I, I was telling uh, one of our deacons this week, I said, I, I, I'm looking at the stats and, and I'm not trying to make us feel better by saying this, but we're in the size of a church that's in the 67% of all churches in America. That's where we are. 67% of, of churches are in the range of 0 to 250. 27% of those are from 50 to 250. That's where we are. Well, excuse me, 50 to 150, excuse me. So I don't want you to look at it and say we're ineffective, but I also don't want you to see, see that and write it off as, well, we're good, we're okay. Because the Bible, the Bible shows us that our command is to share. And the stats tell us that just is not happening on a regular basis. But some believe that if we don't have radical numbers all at once, man, we, we must be total, total failures. Then I would tell you, very quickly, do not read a lot of missionary stories. Don't read a lot of them. You can read a few that will share you really great success right in the moment. But if you read a lot, you're going to say some of the heroes that we champion and look up to, by today's standards, by how we measure ourselves, we would consider them absolute failures. William Carey was a Baptist shoe cobbler, ordinary Joe guy from England who felt compelled that God was telling him, and this is his wordage of the day, to carry the gospel message to the heathen of India. And everybody thought he was a lunatic of the day. But he went and did not have a single convert for seven years. And yet, after that seven years, now we can look back into certain pockets of India and there is a gospel witness, there's gospel churches that take their heritage back to a missionary named William Carey. Adoniram Judson is another missionary that went to Burma. We call that Myanmar now. And he went. And he went knowing it would probably be the last time he ever saw America. He even told the father of his bride, I'm asking you permission to marry her, knowing that when she goes away, you will never see her again. Six years before a single convert. I tell you that because I don't want you losing heart and I also don't want you giving up on someone you're praying with, someone you're sharing Jesus with. Because the fruit may not pop up overnight. But God in His time and His way can bring about a great work. How do I know that? Because God is the one who says in Ezekiel, for those that you think are cold and hardened and are of no hope, who just seem hell-bent on being idolatrous. Like, they're just aiming towards hell with everything in their life. Just like the people of Israel were at one time. 
The prophet Ezekiel said this is what the Lord, the Lord's declaration that he would give them a new heart and put a new spirit within them that he would, could remove the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh that he would place his spirit within them and cause them to follow after him. God is able to work in his time and his way through those who are faithful. And think about it. If you know Him, he, he did that for you. He did that for me. You know what the Bible calls us before we follow Jesus? You know what it calls us? Not just sinners. Let's say we're that. It says we were dead. And we got to remember the God that we follow gives life to dead things. And He did that for us. And if He can do that for us, no matter if we grew up in church or grew up in the South, or grew up in American, or grew up speaking English, or grew up Baptist in that culture. God still took a life that was dead, and He gave it new life when we placed our faith in Him. God can still do that with the dead that walk amongst us. He is still in that light of work. But it's going to take courage. It's going to take courage to proclaim them in these settings where the lost are. It's going to take courage to remain faithful to our public witness when it's questioned. It's going to take courage for us to pray those prayers of of difficulty. God, not my comfort, your mission. It's going to take courage. What are some things that you might be able to put into play to help work that courage to a conversation. Because I believe in hearing all of us, when we leave, we say, man, I, I want to do that, but I just don't know how. You ever struggle with that? I want to, but I just don't know how. And you may even sit there like, I don't know any lost people. You'd probably be surprised at how many lost people you really know, but how many of them you have an actual relationship with? That may be a little more hazy. So what is some advice? First of all, Pray, pray, pray. Pray that people would seek to know God, that they would believe the Scriptures. These are according to the Scripture. That God would draw people to Himself, that the Holy Spirit would work in them to turn them from their sin and to Jesus Christ as Lord. That God would lead someone to lead them to Christ, to even us. And that they would believe and confess in Jesus Christ. Pray. Do not limit the power of prayer to trust a living God to take dead things and bring them to life. Pray. And pray that a living God who can bring dead things to life, He can take ordinary Joes like us to use them for His extraordinary purposes. He can do it. But we must trust. Another avenue. Read and study and store the Scripture regularly so when the time is there, you will not feel as inhibited that God can use what He's teaching and placing in your life to help others know. And then here's the next part. Frequent a place where lost people are and get to know them. Now you may say, well, you may want to go to, you may want to, go to the bar? You want me to go to the strip joint? No, no, I don't want you to go there. But if you go to McDonald's, guess what? There's probably some lost people there. You go to the park, guess what? There's probably some lost people there. You go to the VA or, or the VFW or whatever it is that you're a part of, your, your, your affiliated organization, guess what? There's probably lost people there. Get to know people by frequenting. 
And when you do it, when you go to Meyer across the street, or you go to the apartment complex when we're delivering food, or you go work at the food bank, or you go to your club, or you go to your boat, or you go out golfing, or whatever it is you're doing, man, display compassion and hospitality. Some people feel they're absolutely persecuted, and they'll say, yeah, I'm like Peter and John, I'm getting blasted over here. No, you're not getting blasted for Jesus and righteousness. sake. You're getting blasted because you're a jerk. And you're treating people like they're not human. I've had that, 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 that conversation with people, not really anybody from here, but I've had a conversation with someone, and they're like, man, people don't like me. I'm like, because you blast lost people on the internet. Don't do that. Converse with friends over coffee or a meal. Invite those people that you already know as in friendship to say, hey, let's go to the burger joint. Let's talk. Hey, how can I pray for you? Hey, let me tell you what God is doing in my life. Hey, you were talking about this. You know, this is just where I am and this is where the Bible has shown me something about that subject. Converse. Go to where people are and be involved. And most of all, tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Because Jesus is where the hope is. I know a lot of us, our biggest concern is getting somebody to heaven. We'll focus heavily on heaven, and heaven is going to be a great place, a glorious place, a hope-filled place. But heaven is not the answer Jesus is. When all we do is make the conversation about heaven, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like we're trying to tell, sell somebody a timeshare. Anybody ever been put through one of those scenarios? I'm just trying to sell you this pie in the sky. Everything is good. And yet you miss the main goal of Jesus. Show them how Jesus is so good. Show them how Jesus is the fulfillment. Show them how Jesus is the need that all of us have. And that all of us fall short of the glory of God were it not for Jesus. Show them Jesus. And trust Jesus to show them who He is while you speak it. Let's pray. Lord, in this moment when we have the ability to respond, I don't know what You want to do with us. I don't know what You have spoken to every single person individually. But You do and You are in charge. And so as we've had this time to share, I pray that You would do the work that needs to be done in the hearts and lives of your people here. And for those here that need you to save them. Because they don't have peace with you. They have never trusted you. I pray they take this message that was shared to heart. But that you, God, would do the saving in their life. And they would come to faith in you. And we ask that you would do all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. As we have this time to respond. Amen. This time the music is going to play and we're just going to give people a time to respond I, I don't know where you are i don't know what god is calling you to do in your next step but i can't help but read the scripture and know that whenever it's open before our hearts god is giving each and every one of us a next step maybe it's someone that's come to mind that we need to be praying adamantly for and god is convicted of that and says this is your next step do that and don't stop until the seed 
is sown and the fruit is yielded in its season. Don't give up. Maybe God is saying, you have been praying. What is keeping you from speaking? And you know you've got some homework to do. Be faithful. Maybe some of you, God is saying, I am setting you apart. Because this goal of being a witness is for every believer, but I am calling you specifically to be set apart for my own work. Maybe God is calling you to missions. Maybe God is calling you to be a preacher. And that's your next step as a follower. But as I said in that prayer, some of you, you may be needing to take your very first step. You're not a follower yet. And you need to place your faith in Jesus. We would love to share with you how to trust in Him by admitting your need for a Savior because we're all sinners. We all fall short. We need a Savior. By believing that Jesus is the the salvation, the, the only name by which a man can be saved, and by confessing Him as your Savior and Lord. If that's you today, we would love to help you take that next step. But wherever you find yourself at, please follow the next step that Jesus is leading you towards. And I'll be down here at the front. If you need to talk to someone about what that looks like, if you have questions, I'm here. You follow as God would lead.